Previously on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. I wish Mike Brown would have hired Urban Meyer last year when he moved away. To be his uh, football yeah, spend yeah. alley. Let him go yeah. build it. Because yeah. he can build programs. I mean, you know, and Urban's smart enough. And here's the other thing about Urban. I hate that digress or regress? I hate to digress back. You're, you can digress. You're not regressing. Okay. Talk about urban. All right. I, I, hate, I hate to digress going back to this. Uh, you are not digressing, uh, but you might have had the wrong NFL owner there, uh, Mr. Spielman. Uh, would you like to amend your uh, Mike Brown to Jimmy Haslam now that the Browns have uh, fired uh, Freddie Kitchens and uh, maybe John Dorsey? Because the word is that the new Browns coach will have some say on the future of the Browns' current GM. Bring Rick Spielman back to Cleveland for president. There we go, baby. <laughs> there we go. I was the first one to pound that drum. <laughs> if they would have listened to you last year, which they refused to do for some reason. Yes, and uh, uh, we'd we'd have a we'd have the calendar of dysfunction on uh, a jumbotron, and we'd try to keep it blank if uh, Rick was there. But uh, yeah, the Browns make a change today, and we will get to all that. But we want to say uh, hello to all of you listening to the We Tackle Life podcast. Chris back in. Columbus. I am in Arizona. Uh, I'll be making my way back to Columbus very, very soon. So uh, we appreciate you dealing with uh, our different audio uh, sound, but it'll get better once I'm back in town and that'll be soon. Uh, We will spend most of our time. Well, I don't know if it'll be most of our time because it's open-ended, but we'll spend the start of our time today on the Fiesta Bowl 29-23. I was there on Saturday. Spiels, you watched it. You and I have not communicated about the game via text or anything else since then. So this will be interesting for me to get your take on it. Uh, a lot to unpack there. What uh, What's your recollection and what's your where do you start in your assessment of the Fiesta Bowl here? What are we, 48 hours out from it? So I'm going back to what Frank Gans and people that listen to me know that I quote Frank often and says, you don't have to necessarily be the best team, but you have to be the best team on game day to win the game. And I thought Clemson is not the better team. I think nine out of ten times Ohio State beats them. Uh, I think Clemson is a champion. And the one thing I know about champions, Bruce, they die hard. Yeah. And so if you don't kill the champion, he's going to keep swinging until the very end. And here's the whole thing, okay? I don't like the targeting call, but it was targeting by the rule of the law. That's targeting. Yeah. Yeah, It's unfortunate. I felt bad for Wade. I felt awful for him uh, because he shouldn't be thrown out of game, especially when a quarterback lowers his helmet to his level. But we know we all know the rules that we play in. And I think Sean, if he could keep his head up and his eyes up a little bit, might have been able to avoid that. But that's the call. I didn't have a problem with that call. The fumble was a joke. I mean, that's just that's just a that's awful. I don't I, I can't understand that call for the life of me. And it takes away six points. But take all those away. And this is uh, where if you are going to settle for field goals, you're not going to win against a good team. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You can't, uh, you can't drop passes, and you have opportunities to score touchdowns, and you don't do it, you're not going to win. And that's what it came down to. That's the whole thing. I mean, I, I was <clears throat> the next day, I went into our group, and they're all looking at me. And I said, if you settle for field goals, you're not going to be the championship team. Just not going to do it. Yeah, that's what I wrote this morning. As you know, you're always trying, and when you're in my role as uh, as a guy who covers Ohio State for SI.com, you're always trying to come up with fresh angles, and everybody is still fresh in their minds. So, 
You know, yesterday I wrote about the overturned fumble. I thought it was the wrong call. Uh, if it's called on the field incomplete, I think it's incomplete. The thing I'll say about the overturned fumble, it was not close enough to the end of the game that I think you can extrapolate and say, well, you put seven more points on Ohio State's uh, total they still score after that. Maybe they don't throw the touchdown pass on fourth and one. Maybe they're kicking a field goal there. Uh, and Clemson reacts differently. They play with more urgency. So it was a huge play. It was the wrong play. It was the wrong call, the wrong reversal. But I don't think it happened close enough to the end of the game that you can automatically say that it swung the outcome of the game. I, look, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that was the outcome of the game, but you say maybe Ohio State would have thrown a touchdown touchdown pass. I say maybe they would have. Yeah, I mean, and they maybe, might have. Yeah, and maybe Clemson might have said, "Oh man, this and and we we're just not going to be able to keep." Who knows? We don't know. We just know that it was a bad call, and that you know you got to live with those. But for me, you can't settle. You can't kick three field goals. I mean, you have a chance to bury these guys. Yeah, early. And that's them one, then you make them one dimensional. Right. You know? I, I came down on that end of it in that the game was lost either at the beginning with the field goals. And here's the thing before the game, and you and I talked about this a lot Clemson and Ohio State dominated their competition so much that they were in the top echelon of every statistical category. And we all wondered, at least I did, what, where's that? going to show up on game night? Is it going to be Ohio State's number one ranked offense? is so much better than Clemson's number one defense? Or is it Clemson's 10 points per game is going to hold down Ohio State's 45 points per game? Where it showed up was that Ohio State, the best team in the country at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Nobody scored more touchdowns than Ohio State from the red zone. 59 touchdowns from inside the 20 they scored. 29 throwing, 30 rushing. So they're utterly unpredictable in the red zone, which is why they're great. Clemson, though, gave up the fewest touchdowns from inside the red zone, 10. Their percentage is not the best, but they gave up less touchdowns on snaps from inside the red zone than anybody. And that's where it showed up because Ohio State was 0 for 3 scoring touchdowns from inside the red zone. They got field goals but they needed one of those to be a touchdown or two of those. I think the game is different. Well, how many inside the 10, two, two, out of three? two times inside, inside the, 10. the 10. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's why uh, I've said on broadcasts and maybe you and I've chatted about, we it have, we have chatted that, about it, that if I'm a coach, I'm working red zone offense and red zone defense every day because in college football, especially, uh, teams move the ball from the 30 to the 30, right? My, yes. now my, red, right, my red zone extends out a little bit in a defined definition of red zone, but from the 30 on in, I, I mean, I'm spending every day on red zone offense, red zone defense, and you're right. I mean, that we're, we're both right. Selling for field goals is the same thing, and give credit to Brent Venables and Dabo Sweeney and the staff and the players for uh, clemsoning up, as they say, and playing championship football when it mattered, when you hold a team like Ohio State with all its firepower to 0 for 3. I mean, that's killer. Like, the more I even say it, uh, the more frustrated I am for the players because, you know, I feel I felt awful. Like, I, I almost took this personal because I saw the hurt in the, in the guy's mm-hmm. eyes. And, and, and 
I don't know why this year the I I was feeling worse for the guys than I normally do. I just think because they I think they are the best team in the country and they don't get a chance to show it because they didn't get the job done and that's just the way it is. Now, Brad calls and all that uh that certainly contributed, but it didn't contribute to as much as settling for three field goals. Yeah, and at the end of the game, you know, I think all you can ask at the end uh, in in what appears to be an even match, and I agree with you, Ohio State was the better team. But in an evenly matched game, you would like a chance to win the game either with a defensive stand or with an offensive drive. Right. And Ohio State had both. Yeah. They could win the game with their defense. You got Clemson backed up on its 6-yard line with 3 minutes to go and you know, they needed a field goal. You got four play touchdown drive. Yeah, unbelievable. And then yeah. you have the ball with two timeouts and 149. It's not like you had 30 seconds to score. They had ample time to score and they got down there right away. They had plenty of time. And then you're right. I mean, at that point, you just feel horrible for Chris Olave. You feel horrible for Justin Fields. You feel horrible for J.K. Dobbins. Guys, all of them just left everything they had out on the field. Jeff Okuda, I feel horrible for him. I had a friend of mine out here in Arizona today say, I don't know who that number one is for Ohio State, but he's the best college cornerback I've ever seen. But Jeff, Oku- <laughs> Jeff Okuda misses a tackle on the next-to-last play before Clemson yeah. touchdown. Gives him 20 more yards. I mean, just... It happens. The other yeah. team's got great players, too, and Travis Etienne's going to make you miss him. But you just feel horrible for these guys because this is this is the worst I've felt for an Ohio State football team, yeah. I think, That's since, I yeah. since Archie's senior year. And I know I'm going way back, and most of you are like, what the heck? The 1975 team was a juggernaut like this one, and they beat UCLA like a drum in the regular season and lost big in the Rose Bowl. Their minds weren't on it. I don't think they took them serious. And they lost the national title. And I've always hated it that Archie didn't have a national title. They're not, this is not the first great Ohio State team not to win a national championship. But man, it was just the finality of it. It's like with a minute to go, I'm thinking they're going to score and they're going to win and they're going to play Joe Burrow. And then boom, it's over. Yeah. Just like that. Like it, it was like I was looking around for interference or yeah. a flag or, or excess, whatever, something. To overturn it, but uh, you know, I think Ohio State should be really proud of the of the efforts and, and disappointed. I mean, because they know they didn't reach their goal. But I think as a fan, uh, I'm certainly proud of, uh, as like you said, Bruce, that, that watching these guys give absolutely everything they have is a credit to Ryan, the staff, and and all the players, and also a credit to to Clemson and, and to Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, yeah. exactly wasn't lighting the world on fire. But guess what, man? When, when things needed to happen in crunch time, wham! Yeah. That's why I say that champions are such a special breed, and they will. <laughs> you better when you got a chance to cut off the head. You don't. They're going to come back, dude. They're going to come back, and I, I knew I, it. Yeah, uh, I have done this for a long time. I've I have to count up the bowl games, but I'm sure this was at least the 25th time I've spent a week at a bowl site and I wrote this Sunday on Twitter and I genuinely mean this I've never spent a week at a bowl site with two teams with more polite uh, young men Uh, there was not one guy on either team and I talked to every the the format out here was such that if you were patient you could get 
time one-on-one with every star player, with Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Skowski, Simpson, their awesome guard, Ohio State players, Okuda, Fields, Dobbins, Chase Young. I got them all, Borland, one-on-one, all of them. Not one of them was difficult, chippy, full of themselves, impatient. They were all gracious and humble and give credit to their teammates. And that's a credit to their coaching staffs. And I would say the same. Brent Venables, great guy to talk to. Jeff Scott, great guy to talk to. Jeff Halfley. I talked to Greg Madison a couple times. Man, is he a wonderful guy. Mike Yursich. You know, Yursich could have hidden. He's going to Texas. He could have hidden. I don't want to answer any questions. He was great. Just Brian Hartline. All of them. Just really, really good. Really accommodating. Really good guys. And you can see why... The programs are good on the field, and why we can have a knockdown dragout game like that Saturday night, where count the star players who left the field because they got dinged up for a while. I mean, Okuda and uh, Dobbins and Skowski and Higgins yeah. and Ross and ATN and Dobbins. And it's like if you were a star player, you were getting smacked in that game. Trevor Lawrence add to that list. And not one time did we see fisticuffs after the whistle. Not one time. Which I think is yeah. a real credit to both teams and both coaching staffs and both cultures that they've built. I 100% agree, and it was refreshing and fun and enjoyable to, uh, to watch. It was, it was a great game. It was just a pure, great college football game and, and the effort from both teams and the players. And, yeah, I mean – we're we're giving high praise to both and we should because that's what college football is and you know it and just compare that game to the lsu oklahoma game Mm -hmm. and i i you know when i was doing college football the criticism which is fine that's my job that i took from saying the big 12 doesn't play any it still doesn't play any defense it's awful it's unbelievably bad yeah and I don't, for the life of me, understand, and I'm curious to think how you're going in this direction. I think it damages the Big 12 moving forward with the playoff committee. You I agree. You can't be that bad on defense. You just can't. It's, I agree. I don't even know how that's even possible to be that bad on defense. Yeah, I think Oklahoma. With those type of athletes. I think Oklahoma hurts the Big 12 there, much like. Michigan State and Ohio State getting shut out, I think, played a role in Ohio State getting left out in 2017 and 2018. I think when you get in, you have to be competitive. Now, LSU may do the same thing to Clemson, uh, but I I don't think so. That's the only way that Oklahoma slips off the hook. Oklahoma's now 0-4 in the playoff. Uh, They were competitive against Georgia. I don't think they were really competitive against Clemson. I don't remember the other game. They certainly weren't competitive against LSU. So, yeah, I think uh, everything, you know, the longer you go, the more you get a track record. And uh, that was, uh, let's just put it this yeah. way. They put the right game second because nobody's watching that LSU-Oklahoma uh, fiasco after <laughs> the first half unless no, they're sticking was, around for Ohio State-Clemson. How good was Joe Burrows? I mean, what, oh. kind, of year, what kind of year is Joe going to have? I mean, 55 he, touchdowns. <laughs> 55. <laughs> In a college season, not in a not a sixteen game NFL season. Uh, and but how well he's playing, and he's only getting better. Yeah. And and the fact that he's going to be the number one draft pick overall in the NFL uh, now, unless Cincinnati screws that up, which yeah. we're not going to we're not going to say that's not pos- beyond possible, is it, Bruce? That 
Well, it's always possible, but I would think that they have tickets to sell and they got an Ohio kid and the Heisman Trophy winner and probably the national champion. I think there's some things you are even too obvious to overthink, and that would be one of them. Straight away, we got a linebacker out of Oregon that we really like that nobody's talking about. But somebody might sneak up and get him at number one. Hey, so. which, by the way, like right now might be a good time. Um, another sackless game for Chase Young. Um, are there things there that the – I mean, the NFL invents everything with everybody. So let's just put that out there. That <laughs> You know, they always find a wart, even on the most, you know, pristine complexion. But again, Chase Young, no sacks. Uh, watching him, did you feel like he was? He came so close one time to knocking the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hands yeah. for a fumble. Oh, it was on the play that was overturned. He was right there. He was almost going to knock that out of Lawrence's hands. And there were other. I got like fifteen other plays I can go through that nobody's talking about. That's that that could have dramatically changed that game. But another sackless game for Chase Young, and I guess that's the price of being a great player is that teams pay a lot of attention to you. Yeah, I mean, I think Chase faces a lot of uh, challenges on the field because everybody's aware of him. Uh, I talked to um, probably five people over the past three weeks about Chase Young around the NFL. Um, I think he's probably going to be the second guy taken. I think he's probably going to go to Washington. Uh, uh, I, his future and his potential and his ceilings are off the charts because of his size, because of his, of his speed. I just think he needs to uh, get a little bit better with some counter moves. Not that he's not good mm-hmm. at some counter moves, but speed off the edge isn't going to get it done every single time, right, in the NFL against good players. That's what I wonder if he's kind of a one-trick pony at this point. Um, I don't think he is. I think he does have some counter moves. I just think he needs to get better. And I think uh, if I were Chase, what I would do, and I don't know what their relationship is, what his relationship, I'm assuming it's good with with Nick and Joey, uh, I would get with those two in the offseason because those two guys are – some of the best counter punchers as pass rushers in the NFL that there is. And I think that he could benefit from them. And if he does that, uh, he's going to have a, a tremendous career. Not that he might have one anyway. I don't know. I'm just telling you, if I were advising Chase, I would say, Chase, you got it all, dude. You got the size, the speed, the tenacity, the toughness, everything. We just need to get a little bit more tuned in on a couple counters. What's your second move? If speed's taken away, how quick is your transition to your next move? And I think where that's where Nick and Joey kind of excel from uh, from the pack right there is their counter moves and how quickly they go to their counter move. Does that make sense to you? It does, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but he's going to go. Okuda's got to go. Uh, Sean Wade is the one. Is JK's got to go. JK's got to go. What I mean, let's talk about him for a second. I mean, 2,000 yards. Uh, the the greatest single season in Ohio State history, a 68-yard touchdown run, a 64-yard run, and and here's one of those plays that that people That's don't. That's another t- play. Oh, the guy tripped him up. Yeah, the uh, what's the kid's name? Muse, his last name. Uh, Tanner Muse. Number 19. He's right? got five, JK's got five yards on him, and he's. Uh, one of the Clemson kids dives for J.K., and I thought he was going to take out Muse. 
Muse leaps over that guy, makes a dive for JK at the 15, swings his, his arm, clips his ankle, and knocks him down at the 8. And that otherwise, he's in the end zone, and that's one of the drives inside the 10 that the Buckeyes got three out of. Do you know what I said? I'm glad you reminded me of that because I wrote it down because I wanted to say it on the podcast on Monday afternoon, and I forgot. So thank you for reminding that. I got it down on my actually NFL board that I use because I was keeping notes of the Ohio State game because I was watching it uh, in our meeting room. And I said, that play is going to cost us. That's what it says. Mm -hmm. That play might have saved the game because it did turn in, as you said, what we thought, what I thought was a touchdown, because uh, I didn't think anybody would get J.K. from behind, and that kid did, and he tripped him up. Then we had to settle for the field goal because we couldn't punch it in. Then um, the drop pass. I mean, it would have been a tough catch, but I think the catch that he's he's certainly capable of making. And, and it's just, you know, those are those are close plays that oftentimes when you play a great team, determine the game. And we just came up short on a couple of those. But for J.K., now – his biggest, most impressive statistic in, is the fact that he has over 1,000 yards after contact. Yeah. Over 1,000 of those 2,000 are after contact, which is what I'm looking for in an NFL back. And just think of the numbers, Bruce. Now, it might have been, I don't know, may, let's say if he would have played the second half of, what, five games, six mm. games? Mm. So add another five, let's say – I, I guess conservatively, 500 yards. Yeah. We're, we're looking at a 2,500-yard season from a college. A 2,500-yard season from a running back. That's crazy. That's I mean, that, crazy. That would have been possible. That, that if you would, now, of course, you're not going to play the guy. And, and, and I'm glad Ryan didn't because of, you know, you want to protect J.K. for his future, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to have this guy take uh, hit after hit after hit. But if you you just to go back to your point with J.K., he's got to come out. He has to. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt he has to. I mean, particularly uh, here's another thing that changes the game. Uh, the after Etn scores, which by the way, what a run that was. I mean, Travis yeah. Etn, he's got nothing yeah. out there. Yeah, that was that was beautiful. And, that was just, and I'm just I'm not like rooting for Clemson. No, but man, what a play! I'm celebrating great plays. It was so. I mean, that's what I'm celebrating the game, and these guys are doing these tremendous things on the biggest stage at the best opportunity that they have to be on the biggest stage. That's that's what I love. And that's what I was even talking about. Like Eli, Eli, you know what Eli finished his career as a starter, Bruce? Five hundred. One hundred and seventeen and one hundred and seventeen. Oh man! But, but on Eli, the biggest man, stage, <laughs> to the biggest time. Two-time world champion, yeah. two-time Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, at the biggest moment, he was his biggest, and that's and just like all the guys from Clemson and all the guys from Ohio State, it was great. It's great. So on that series, ETN scores. Ohio State's got the ball. They get, I think, it got eight yards on first down. All they need to do is get a first down, run the clock out, kind of recollect themselves at halftime. And Dobbins on third and two gets stopped and. The Clemson kid it was not a dirty play. He's got J.K.'s ankle to hold him, and somebody comes and hits J.K., and the ankle twists. And the, how the fortunes of that game tilted on J.K. Dobbins having a gimpy ankle. He left the game. He's out for a while. Uh, he came back in, but I, he wasn't the same back when he came back in. He had like 140-some yards at that point. He ended up with 170. Yeah. Uh, so that's a huge play. And then 
Similar to the dive we just talked about with Tanner Muse making the play on J.K., Clemson gets it back, and Lawrence takes off on the quarterback draw. Just so many levels to this. First of all, the athletic ability of that kid to make a jump cut. A 6'6 guy in the middle of the field makes jukes Josh Proctor, then makes a jump cut away from Jordan Fuller, and here comes Baron Browning. And Baron Browning has momentum, and it looks like the angle on Trevor Lawrence. And Baron Browning reaches, and at that point, had he dove, I believe he gets Trevor Lawrence down. But he reached to grab his jersey, and by the time Lawrence had enough time then to veer away from Browning's grasp and change the pursuit angle, which allowed him to get in the end zone. And that's how that's that hair's breadth between winning and losing. Baron Browning did nothing wrong. Nope. He goes back and watches that play. He's going to wonder why, just like Olave's going to wonder... Just like Justin Ross is going, or T. Higgins is going to wonder why did I dive for a stupid ball out of bounds that I'd never catch. Which, by the way, T. Higgins gets hurt, and Trevor Lawrence throws that ball only because Chase Young jumps offside. I don't think Trevor Lawrence throws that ball only no. because Chase Young drop, jumps offside. So it's the randomness, the the hair's breadth margin between winning and losing in a game like this that you can just roll over and over and over in your mind. Hey, so here's the thing. I sat with the head coach this year uh, in the NFL. And he said, let me save you some time. I said, great. I'm all about saving time. And I say this every broadcast. I have a little card to remind people. And the coach told me this. Chris, every NFL game for the most comes down to seven to ten plays. Mm If you make the majority of those seven to ten plays, you're going to win the game. And that's it. We don't know when those plays are coming, right? Like right. the kid, the kid trip JK, that's, there's a win. Yep. Uh, uh, Baron Browning almost had Trevor Lawrence. That's a win, right, for, yep. for, uh, for uh, Clemson. And those, so those are two plays that were made that needed to be made that they want. And it's going to – Everything else evens out. It's just these seven to ten plays that happen within a game that nobody knows when they're going to happen, but they happen. And the other thing he said to me is every game in the NFL, for the most part, say 80% of them, who's going to win the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter? Who's going to win on the scoreboard the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter? And he's right. Yeah. Win the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter, and that's what this game was. It, it, it was it was a beautiful thing of college football. Uh, I felt I felt horrible for Ryan. I man, when I saw his comments afterward, Bruce about you know disappointed and angry. I I I think a lot of people felt the anger uh, that he had. But I think Ryan, once he had a chance, I don't know this to be true or not true, but you know I was so angry about that fumble call. Yeah, I was angry. I, I mean I was ang- like that. That's such a great play by Akuda. The guy catches the ball. He takes it two steps, and Akuda knocks it out. And but you know, I, who knows? And but I think what he's going to say is, man, we I know I knew coming in here, and I guarantee you, he talked about this with his team because most coaches do. You can't settle for field goals against a champion. You just can't do it. 
and that's that's still all this great talk we're having that's the whole bottom line to me man you just mm. can't do it you can't do it and i thought i want to give ryan credit i thought he struck the exact right tone with the with the 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 what the quality of his comments the words he said and how he said them after the game I think I think his his disappointment came through, his anger came through, but not in a blaming the officials for the loss kind of a way. I think his yeah. exasperation came through. I just thought he struck the right tone, and he talked about how much he loves his guys and how proud he was of his guys, and I thought he struck the right tone. I, I will say this, too. Dabo Sweeney uh, acknowledging Ohio State and what a great team Ohio State was. Yeah. Tre- Trevor Lawrence acknowledging Ohio State on the podium after the game. I appreciated that. I thought that was you know, merited, but you don't always get that from an opponent who's won an emotional game. I thought that showed a lot of class uh, and showed who those guys are because I don't think you do that in the moment if you have to think about doing it. I think that's just who you are. So I thought that was was really good. And You know what that proved? That proved what we said um, about Ohio State hasn't faced anybody like Clemson Mm. and Clemson hasn't faced anybody like Ohio State. Yeah. And... You know, that, and that's what made it, – it would have been the perfect game if Ohio State would have won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been the perfect game if we would have won. But And uh, yeah. and I think Justin Fields was awesome uh, supporting Chris Olave and just talking about how much he loves his teammates and he wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. And I just think it was, uh, was just A-plus all the way around uh, on all of that. So um, – it's 29-23, and Ohio State moves on. And Spiels, who are you getting a call from there, my man? I don't know. You don't know. You got to take it. I wanted to ask you I what don't. you thought of the Butkus Award winner, Isaiah Simmons, who my view from the end zone of the of the first Justin Fields interception, I think Justin saw him. I just thought there's – Justin thought, well, there's no way he can get there. And the kid had tremendous speed, made a tremendous play. And let me give you another one of those invisible plays in the game that could have made a difference. After Ohio State took the lead on the fourth down pass to Olave, uh, they hold Clemson, they get the ball back, they're driving. They've taken three minutes off the clock. They're at about the they're at the Clemson 42. This is on the series where it ends up fourth and four and Ohio State punts. Yeah. Dobbins runs outside. It's it's another instance where he's got that edge and he has wide open space to the right. Isaiah Simmons is blitzing up, like coming up the field from the center of the field. I think he was playing a, a near safety position on that one. He veers out, and he has that do-it-or-don't-do-it moment, and if you don't do it now, you're not going to get him, and he dives. And he just gets J.K. by the ankles and knocks him down. It's a six-yard gain. It looks like nothing on the stat sheet. I'm telling you, if he doesn't get J.K. Dobbins right there, he's out in the flat for at least 15 to 20 more yards, He's got a one-on-one move to make against Tanner Muse, and if he gets by Muse, it, it, you know they're down. They're they're certainly down there much sooner, and and maybe Clemson can't handle the moment. Maybe he scores, but another a great play there, which is one of those 50-50 plays that like Etn made on the third and two run for the touchdown, and Lawrence made on the draw, and Muse made diving to stop J.K. and here Simmons makes to stop J.K. and I don't mean to insinuate all that Ohio State didn't didn't make those plays. Clemson just made the plays they had, the ones that could kill them, they made. Well, yeah, they, they made seven to ten plays. Yeah, They made them when they counted. And, 
I think the kid's a tremendous player. I think he's everything what NFL defenses are looking for, right? They're looking for those big bodies that can play inside, that can play outside. They put him out of a slot. They put him at safety. They put him as a pass rusher. They put him as a middle linebacker. Uh, his versatility is unlimited, and he's such a great athlete with great size that, uh, you know, he's probably going to be the second uh, defensive player taken in the draft, certainly maybe top five pick depending on teams' needs. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the uh, the overturn for a second because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Herbie right away said, uh, and I wrote this down last night, I watched the game again just to make – I wanted to hear what the, the conversation was. He said he's holding on to that football, that's a catch. And right away, Bill Lamagne, the officiating guy in the booth uh, – normally I think the officiating guys in the booth are kind of worthless because they almost too often tend to just – well, I should say this. Gene Steratore too often agrees with whatever the officials have called – I think your guys at Fox, Pereira, and uh, Blandino do a much better job. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, Blandino doesn't. Yeah, they'll tell it how it is, yeah. Uh, Bill Lamagne, right away, here's what he said. As soon as Herbie said that's a catch, Lamagne says, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. This is before any replays. He did not have time to make a football move. When we look at those things in slow motion, you can make anything look like a catch. At regular speed, he did not finish the process of the catch. I would say incomplete. I don't see enough on this where he's hit and the ball comes out. I'd rule incomplete pass. Now, I'll say this. Jeff Okuda made too good of a play on that. Like If Okuda lets him bring it into it, Okuda has his hand in between T. Higgins' hands. And you're not going to in a million years say, well, I'm going to let him pull it in and then rake it out. I mean, you're raking it out. It's like you got an opportunity to rake it out. You rake it out. But if anything, Jeff Okuda made too good of a play on that. He ripped it out too fast. Well, I, I mean, I hope he wasn't saying the fact that he didn't tuck it away, didn't make it a catch. That's kind of what it sounded like. But the Clemson well, receivers all night were catching the ball away from their body and holding it away taught, from the defender. They're taught to catch it away from their bodies. Yeah. The best ever at that was Chris Carty. Yeah. Carter. And so, I mean, that's, you know, it is what it is. I, I agree with you. If it would have been ruled incomplete on the field, then fine. There wasn't enough there to overturn it. And a football move is somebody's opinion. Yeah, it's, very much you know, so. It's very not objective. So. It's it's not subjective. It's objective. And so, uh, you know, he had the ball. He had control of it. He had two steps. He was holding the ball away from the defender with control. I just, you know, I, I just, I think they got jobbed on that one. That's just, you know, just that's the way it is. It's going to happen in, in football. We see it. We saw it last night in the 49er Seahawks game. Mm-hmm. I had one, yes, I get one a week. Or where there's a penalty that should have been called that wasn't called. Or an overturn that should have been overturned, wasn't overturned. Whatever. You just got to, you got to play past that, though. But, you know, I, I, so frustrating though for for Jeff who as you said made too good of a play yeah the kid from Clemson was doing the right thing keeping the ball trying to keep the ball away from the defender in his hand it's just you know I don't know there it's one of those deals there's nothing you could do about it no sometimes you can't change it and you wouldn't change it it just is and just like the targeting on Wade yeah and you know and it's just pretty much that's about all I have for you in terms of trying to console you on the loss. It's just, it just is. You, you can't fault anybody. Um, right. The thing that I think hurts so much is Ohio State 
This is their 10th loss in the last eight years. <laughs> Think about that. So we're not used to losing. And, and we're not used to losing where there's a play in the game that dogs you forever like uh, the tuck rule or yeah. the fifth down or the pass interference Miami oh. or the Michigan spot or we're not that we don't we don't have that spot in history now <laughs> we, now we do we're on the good end of that yeah the, the, the officials didn't get the memo yeah so uh, it's just when when you're in that I, spot it's just hard to to deal with it I will say this um like disappointing but I don't feel that the play, maybe that it probably feels worse for the players. I remember saying many times, I'd rather get beat in a close game than than get blown out. Yeah. Or no, I'd rather get blown out than get beat yeah. in a close game. Opposite. And like the Iowa game or the Purdue game, you don't deserve to win, you know. And, and this one, you know, they played their rear ends off, and just a couple of things here or there didn't go their way and that's why I think it's so disappointing but I'm going to say that I still think Bruce that this is is I'm not going to say they're the best team in Ohio State history because they didn't finish the task or get to the goal that they set but I'm going to say it's a top three team in the history of Ohio State football and it was a pleasure to watch them this year I really I mean I sincerely mean that I think they're that good it really was I almost have to come up with a separate category for teams that don't win the title because you can always play the you can always play the title card and I get that Uh, but I'd put this team with the 75 team that I referenced earlier with the 98 team of teams that did not win the championship uh, being a great team being a dominant team being a pleasure to cover uh, they represented you in every way you every every possible way you want them to represent your school they did um I think, you know, this was their moment. It's going to be much diff- more difficult next year. At most, they're going to have one guy back in the secondary, Sean Wade. He probably, in all honesty, probably should go. Uh, Chase Young's going to go. Um, Jobbins is going to go. Okuda's going to go. They'll hire great coaches, but it's not, you know, J.K. Dobbins is going to be hard to replace. As much as you and I like Master Teague, he's not J.K. Dobbins. No. Uh, they, they lose Victor. They lose Mac. They lose KJ Hill. Mac and KJ Hill were big on uh, Saturday. Chris Olave will be back. Garrett Wilson looks like the real deal. They got some great freshmen. But, uh, you know, how much does Mike Yersich leaving change anything at the quarterback position? I don't know. So it's just, and next year, I think the schedule's tougher. You got to go to Oregon week two. I have no idea what Oregon has at quarterback, but you're going to have a pretty inviting secondary to go after. Other than, you know, Ohio State will have great talent. And they'll practice well and they'll come up with a good plan, but it's not like you're going against Okuda, Arnett, Fuller, and Wade. So uh, it's just, you got to get it when you're there. They were right on the cusp, and it just hurts because of that. It really, really hurts. You know, uh, the exciting thing, though, is this is one thing I really look forward to. And it's it's my theory with Ohio State football. We're seeing great players leave. They they've had their moment and they've had their time. And this is how I approach my own career. And the excitement is for who are the new stars that are going to be born, mm. right? That uh, Harrison, number thirty-three, mm. from, Yeah. What a hustle uh, play he made on Lawrence's <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> Zach Harrison, a defensive end, yeah. is sprinting all the way to the end zone. That's the kind of heart you want to see. 
Uh, the other kid that we're going to miss, uh, Malika Harrison, right, the linebacker. Yep. Yep. He's, yep. He, he's going to be a really good pro, I think. I really like his game, too. But I, I, I guess my point is the excitement about Ohio State is we don't know who, but we know they're going to be good. And that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's the fun part. Uh, for me as a and as a Ohio State fan now is I don't know who's the next guy right who's the right. next JK right like like I remember sitting there saying after uh, Ohio State won a national championship I'm say who in the heck is going to replace Zeke Elliott yeah who's going to replace this guy yeah right I mean come on you yeah know? only the guy who'll rush for two thousand yards <laughs> just him <laughs> that's like who would have predicted that so that's the great thing about Ohio State. We 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 don't know who. That's bad news. The good news is, but we know they're going to be good. Yeah. So let's sit back and enjoy it. Uh, the same cannot be said about Freddie Kitchens' replacement. We'll transition to the Browns here. I'm not at least a bit surprised that Freddie Kitchens was fired. I take no pleasure in it, uh, but uh, the 13 carries for Nick Chubb against the Bengals is just the latest example of lack of attention to detail against the NFL's worst rushing defense. And with Nick Chubb having the success he had, particularly early in the game, I'm not going to pound that in terms of it's just indicative of the fact that there were, as we've talked, ad nauseum, this, that, the other, always something else, always something distracting, never about the winning, never about the attention to detail, the investment you needed. And the roster's not such that the roster can be appreciably changed, uh, nor do I think needs to be appreciably changed. So the head coach is what you change, and they've changed it. Uh, the names that uh, are out there, Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, Ravens offensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator, Saints, and a guy you would know something about. Uh, we probably know something about all of them, but offensive offense coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, also Mike McCarthy, is he still out Yeah, there Mike McCarthy, not? they are going to interview, yes. Ron Rivera is going to the Redskins. Jim Caldwell's name is floated, but there seems to be very little interest on the Browns' part in Jim Caldwell. Uh, Eric Bieniemy is a guy they should look at, too who's comes highly endorsed from Kansas city. Andy Reed. Yeah. Andy Reed and Eric, the enemy's offense has had more success than Matt Nagy. If you want to compare those two guys as offense coordinators, now I get that it's Andy Reed's offense and all that. But if Andy Reed's an endorsing a guy, uh, I certainly would take a look at him. Uh, look, I don't know what guy, the only thing I heard about McCarthy is, and this could be true or not true. I have no idea. That with McCarthy, it's got to be a package deal with Elliot Wolf. So I don't know if that's true or not. Well, Elliot Wolf's there already. Yeah, and but I I I, I think uh, McCarthy and Wolf together. Yeah, and Alonzo Highsmith I, is there. So yeah, you know, they I, were I, in Green I, Bay together. I don't know if that means uh, Dorsey's that out. Means, yeah, what that means for John. That's that's my point in saying that. So I I don't know. That's just. That's what I heard that McCarthy works with Wolf. That's yeah. however that's set up. I, I don't know. I think Josh uh, McDaniels would be better the second time around as a head coach. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in Denver, like all these guys, uh, they try to be Bill Belichick and they're not. Um, I talked to a guy in Miami today, somebody really close to the Dolphins. At first, Brian Flores. Tried to be Bill Belichick. Then somebody said something to him. Then guess who he started being? Brian Flores. And he started, and they started what? Responding yeah. to Brian Flores, right. not a Bill Belichick cast off. 
And so I think Josh would be an improved coach. It, it would be cool to see a Northeast Ohio guy come back and coach the Browns. Josh, of course, the son of Tom McDaniels, who's a longtime high school coach in the mm-hmm. state of Ohio. Josh was also a quarterback at Canton McKinley. I think it would be cool. I think that would be a good hire. You just don't know. All I know is this. You better hire the hammer. And that hammer's got to go to Haslam and uh, who's ever the general manager, whether it's John or somebody else, and say, hey, look, if these guys get out of line or start hearing crap, then I got to have the I got to have the ability to sit them or to punish them because I cannot have these people run in the locker room. It's my locker room and nobody else's locker room. And if they don't have that authority, then I wouldn't take the job. Uh, and with the backing of the owners, you know what I mean? Yep. The, with the backing of the management and and the owners. So that's who uh, I think the type of person that you need to hire. And they got to be willing to stand by him. So uh, we'll see what happens. And if that means, like, you know, guys, it, like, and somebody that can handle Baker. And look, I don't, the, the, the more I hear people talk about, Baker, and the more unlikable he is to people, mm-hmm. the more he, do, you, do you agree with that? I, I do. Just, I, I I just don't. I think the guy can be special. I don't know. There's something about that guy, but when he says, "I don't need help. I know what to fix," you know, I, I you you have to be open to other people's ideas. You hey, do look at it from look at it from this perspective. Look at it this, and and I would. If I were to sit down with Baker, I'd say, look, dude, I think you can be special. I think you're really good, but, you know, just sit and listen to people. Then you can determine what may be good or what may be bad. Uh, And I'm not going to blame Baker because as a young player, nobody could tell me anything, to be honest with you, Bruce. I wasn't uh, rude about it or wasn't broadcast over social media because social media didn't exist. But about my third year, I started to listen to other people and say, hey, you might want to think about this. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you might want to look at it from this vantage point. And once I did, I became a better player. And I just wish Baker would just say, maybe there's are people that have had a lot of success in this league and been around a lot longer than I have. Maybe they do have something to offer me. And guess what? They're not, they're, 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 it's not a, a scheme against me. It's they actually have my best interest. <laughs> you know, it's almost like he thinks everybody's out to get them, and they're not. Well, I think there's something to be said in life for trusting your instincts. I really do, and being true to yourself. But I also think there's a time for self-introspection and looking at, are those things working? And I think two years into his NFL career, he didn't progress from year one to year two. He regressed. And I think it takes strength, personally, to say, I need to become uncomfortable to get better. Uh, Anybody who's ever gotten in really good shape... Um, you love the results at the end, but the avenue to get there is filled with sweat and pain and discomfort. And I think Baker Mayfield, I'm with you, Chris. He has accuracy. He has leadership. He has a lot of the raw materials that can eventually get him to a point where he is a special quarterback. But I think he needs to submit himself to being coached hard and to being willing to be coached hard. And if he doesn't, he's going to achieve less than he's achieved. And I'll, I'll say this about LeBron James. He's got a tremendous individual work ethic and tremendous resume of career accomplished and everything. I will always believe LeBron could have been even better 
if he had allowed himself to be coached by virtually anyone more than he well, coached himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm yeah. not putting Baker does not have the wondrous natural gifts that LeBron has. Uh, Baker needs to take, have someone take the clay that he is and mold it and shape it. And he may push back against it. He has to trust that coach enough. And that coach has to care enough about Baker Mayfield that they bring out the best in each other. It may not always be the most pleasant side of each other, but I think they can bring out the best in each other. And I think Baker will be less than he can be if he persists in this, I got it. I'm the walk on that became this. And then, 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 yeah, that got you to a certain point that got you to a certain point. It won't get you where you can go. Yeah. I think it puts by doing that. I think he limits himself without, him knowing that he limits himself it's almost somebody who's close to him whether it's his parents whoever or somebody that he trusts that takes advice from and said you just need to shut up and listen for two minutes i, I don't mean i'm not trying to be disrespectful or harsh yeah. i'm just how you convey the message just just be quiet stop talking and listen and if he does that i think he can benefit himself because i think he's a i think that he's a he's a fierce competitor I think he has all, like you said, he has all the qualities, all the tools, you know, and, and then he's got to get rid of the rabbit ears. He's yeah. just got to get rid of the rabbit ears. I mean, I saw one thing today where uh, Baker Mayfield has uh, more ads than wins, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, all that stuff, you know, it just, he's got to separate himself and just worry about becoming the best player and stop caring and thinking about what people think. I mean, he's the ultimate sensitive dude, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he can't handle anybody saying anything. And in the world where he exists, can't you won't last. He could if he disciplined himself, he could remove himself and insulate himself from all the things he finds impossible not to respond to. He could in that bubble of the NFL. Not everybody can look. I'd love to be off Twitter to do the job that I have to do. I have to be on it. I'd love to disengage from a lot of things. I can't afford to. It stands in the way of me doing what I'm paid to do the best I can do it. Baker Mayfield to be an NFL quarterback can tunnel in during a season, stay off social media, stay off Twitter, don't watch the news, don't read the paper, be at the facility at 7 a.m., go home, spend the evening with his wife, watch Netflix, and never expose himself to all the stuff that he finds impossible not to be distracted by. He can exist in that world. And the best do exist in that world, in his profession. And it's a question. I would press him. What sacrifices are you willing to make to be the best quarterback you can be. That's a sacrifice he can make. It's not a sacrifice that will keep him from being a better quarterback. It's a sacrifice that given his propensity to respond and to chirp and to fight and to defend himself, it's a sacrifice that will help him. But I don't know if he's willing to make it. He needs to go talk to his counterpart that beat him this week, Andy Dalton, and to see how he's done it all these years, right? I think. I would go talk to Brady. I would go talk to Breeze. I'd go talk to the best of my profession and say, do you have any awareness of what's going on around you? How do you build a a team around you, a support system around you? I'm not saying he needs an entourage, but I'm saying, how do the people around you support you, and 
How do you stay? How do you keep that stuff outside? Yeah, he just has to learn that he, he doesn't need to fight everybody that is going to tease him or yeah. give him crap. He just doesn't need to fight everybody. I mean, you really, you really don't. And until he does, and he doesn't need to constantly respond to every little thing. Like, and I know he's a friend of yours, but that thing with, with Grossi, Tony Grossi, why? It was needless. Why you, what, what, what are you even doing? Yeah. I mean, why? There, there's no point. If this doesn't help you become better, it doesn't help the team become better. It has nothing to do with winning. If you don't like a question, just don't answer the question. Yeah. Or answer it how you want to answer it. That's yeah, yeah. That's that's what I do. If I get it, or when I was playing, if I got a question, I would just answer whatever I wanted to answer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know if there's a perfect coach for him because I don't. You know, we we joke about uh, the dysfunction. It's very difficult to win if you don't have it right from the front office on down. And it's I don't. Really not I don't, a joke though. It's the dysfunction is not a joke. No, it's. it's I mean, we laugh about it because it's. It's fodder. It's unbelievable to yeah, me. That's, it it's unbelievable. That's why we laugh about it because what are you guys even doing? Yeah. What are you thinking? Why Why do we have to come out and talk about everything that we that we self-induce instead of talking about winning or losing the game or how to get better? Yeah. <laughs> so we really anything can't – I can't make that. any judgment on what I, – I, I will say they did the right thing. I think Freddie had to go. I, again, I don't relish in it. I think it's – they didn't support him. John Dorsey didn't support him. If I go back and change anything in the Fred, in, in the Freddie Kitchens era, I think what went wrong is John Dorsey loved hearing too much about what a great roster he built, and Freddie Kitchens loved being, you know, the quintessential outsider who got the job and I showed you – and neither one of them had the wherewithal, for whatever reason, to stand up in a world they've both been in long enough to understand you win nothing on paper in the NFL. And when they started talking about how yeah. great they were going to be, I was waiting for an adult, somebody up there to say, hey, knock that off. We haven't done anything yet. And I don't remember hearing that from anybody. Yeah. And and by the way, the defense was god-awful this year. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, so it, and so while we're blaming – Freddie Kitchens and Dorsey and whoever else you want to blame, the, the 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 number one target on the blame list are the players because they all underperformed and they all underachieved. All of them. All of them. Yes, they did. Yes, Except they did. Nick Chubb, your guy. Except <laughs> Nick Chubb. Yes, indeed. Um, all right, you got you got the uh, Eagles are a playoff team. You saw them yesterday. Any uh, brief thoughts on the NFL before we? Uh... Head into the faith element and wrap up. Any thoughts as the playoffs start here this weekend? Uh, what are your duties think, for Fox? Uh, I'm done now. Um, unless they call me, offered myself as an assistant to anybody or anything. So we'll see what happens. I don't know what that means. I just yeah. said, hey, if you guys need me in any way, I'll. So I don't know if I'll uh, maybe watch some tape and offer some insights uh, to to. Troy, I mean, Troy does his own work, obviously, but just that there, I'd like somebody would offer me that a different perspective. I'd love to see their notes that they take on a team or, or whatever. I pick guys' brains all the time. Um, I think the Saints are the, are the best team in football right now. I think the Vikings have a very difficult Whew. task. Man, they sure do. To New Orleans now, you know, they're the biggest underdog, so sometimes that can to play into your favor. Um, 
I, I look at San Francisco because they play out on the West Coast. Bruce, that's a really good team, man. Mm-hmm. They are really good, and I think Garoppolo's playing at a high level out of the AFC. I mean, the Dolphins go to New England. <sighs> New England's playing for a first-round bye, and the Miami Dolphins beat the New England Patriots in New England. NFL football. <laughs> it's great. That's why I get such a kick out of, well, you know, maybe maybe Ohio State can play the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm. Do you know how bad the Cincinnati Bengals would be, though? I, was, mm. I mean, we've talked about this. It, yeah. you, you know, I, I mean, it's just I, – I, I don't even want to entertain that because it's idiotic when people tell me that. I can't even look them in the eyes. But I, I do think this. I think that um, Kansas City is uh, a really good team. And if you hadn't had a chance to watch Patrick Mahomes play, do yourself a favor and watch the guy play. Straight gamer, man, and a big-time gamer. Can they so, win in Baltimore? Yes, absolutely. Wow. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I'm going to say it here on Monday that I'd be surprised if they don't win. So you got the Chiefs winning the AFC. Yes, and I got the Saints winning the uh, NFC. Not the court, Not the 49ers? No, I got the Saints. I just, yeah, okay. I got the Saints. Okay. I, I said the 49ers are really good. I I, it's for right now, watching him play, and I got to watch a lot of this game yesterday, watching Drew Brees play. I, I ain't betting against Drew right now. Can't right. do it. So. All right. Well, did you have a nice Christmas with your family? And, uh, you know. Very Lithmas. We had a Lithmas. You did have Lithmas, yes. I saw that on Instagram. <laughs> hey, by the way, how about thanks a shout-out to Governor Mike DeWine, who chatted with me and uh, aired that and put that interview on the uh, Spielman and Hooley Instagram that. page. That was very nice of the governor to – Give me about 45 and, uh, seconds of his time away in the stadium. I do have to pick a little bone with you before we go to the faith element. Okay, go right ahead. I'm a little surprised that you were snarky with the players instead of their position groups lined up by their majors. I mean, that's that's what it's all about, my friend. <laughs> yeah, the education. Yeah, they <laughs> arranged the players at media day by major, not by offense and defense, not by their position groups. So, like... You had no clue where you could find any players. Yeah. I mean, it was just the classic, like, NCAA, you know, n- nonsense. Like, here's all the business majors. Like, what? What are we even doing here? I mean, why, why, what, what are you guys what – are, what are we – are, 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 are we fools? Are we idiots? Oh. What are we doing here, right? A I mean, long line. school <sighs> and it was academic day, I get it, right? We're at the national championship game. <laughs> Get to what social services and agribusiness. Yeah. Agribusiness. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's what they did to us. But uh, I thought I'd put that on Instagram for everybody to that's, enjoy. That's actually some of your best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to admit, uh, I, I've had some family members comment on the how much they enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, so. I did it with Clemson. I didn't do it with Ohio State because it's not. It's not anybody's fault they did it that way. They lined up and sat where they were told to sit. But we're out in the hallway, and the players come in, and I hear this guy going, business, business. And I'm like, what is he? Yeah, business. And then I got inside, and I see the signs, and I'm like, oh, you can't be serious. Yeah, that's what they did. Yeah. They lined them up by their majors. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that, that's congratulations. So there were a bunch of guys over on the side playing PlayStation. I figure they were the undeclared major <laughs> sign. <laughs> there was a huge crowd over there. Uh, 
Yeah. Mm. All right. What do you have for me today? Well, uh, just I want to go. I want to end the year with uh, the one verse that stood out to me throughout this year because I was uh, reading in First Corinthians today, and it's uh, the one that you and I have talked about before. We've uh, we've jostled back and forth on it before, dif- differing translations. First Corinthians sixteen, thirteen, and fourteen. Uh, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. It's just five simple commands. Uh, it forms a baseline for me as I try to plot my year ahead. Uh, no idea where it's headed professionally or personally. Um, we're not promised any days. I'm extremely grateful for um, God bringing me through. You know the work challenge of losing the losing the zone and losing that regular paycheck. Wow. Really grateful to you for. Um, offering to do this podcast, and I think that uh, while you and I would love for it to grow and we're working on some things that will affiliate it with people that can help it grow, um, I've been, and I think you've been, gratified with the response that we've got from people. The encouragement that we get from people who respond well to the faith portion is um, very meaningful to us. It's why we do it, and we hope that we're, uh, we hope we're an encouragement and inspiration to people, but we also hope you laugh and enjoy our chemistry and, and our insights on um, the things we talk about. Well, yeah, just to, to echo that on the uh, that verse, you know, that's kind of my life verse also. Um, I say that every morning when I wake up. And uh, because, you know, as, as people and in, in living in, in a world, there's you're going to get knocked around and you're going to get blindsided. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, be ready to respond. That's to be on your guard. Uh, your faith is the only thing that won't waver. And uh, it won't fluctuate. So stand firm in that. That's the rock, right? It's the foundation that we all need in our life. There's, and I, when I do speaking engagements, I tell people all the time, you know, you're going to be called. You have to be brave at times. It's just, you're going to have to have courage and you're going to have to face your demons and giants and you're going to have to defend them. Just know that you're not defending them alone. You have, you have the Holy Spirit, you have uh, God, you have friends, you have prayer to help you face those demons. And that's where you can get your courage from. Uh, in a, when you're feeling weak, uh, pray for strength, and I promise you, you will get strength. Uh, I didn't think it was possible. I lived it. And the last part of that, in all you do, do in love, um, that can be difficult yeah. at times. That can be really difficult. I mean, but I do think that uh, to tie that into a New Year's resolution, you know, my whole thing is is to be more positive. And so that when I do things, I am doing it with love and to see the good instead of seeing the, the negative. Because human beings, we are created to look at the, the negative first, right? And so... Uh, I read an article in a magazine actually in the airport this morning about flipping that around and see the positive in things first. Then obviously the negative will come, but try to try to be more positive in, in how I approach things, how I approach people. And it's little things. Just in, I started today. I, for example, the flight attendants, um, I don't always say thank you when I'm getting off the plane. Uh, I've been doing that for a while, and I started back up again today. And just thank the the young lady that was uh, in the back with us and her her effort. You know, it's the it's the little things like that. And then to ask somebody um, how they are doing, you know, and to to uh, at the I was at a Starbucks 
I don't know what airport it was. I think it was in the Newark airport. And I just said, you know, can I leave you a tip? And they said, no, it's against policy. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but just have a great day and have a great new year. And this girl just gave me this genuine smile back. Well, you too, sir. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that goes a long way, just random acts of kindness. And uh, I'm really, really uh, started and trending that way, but I'm going to make a concerted effort the whole year to be like that uh, consistently. Yeah, I think that's great. I try to do that now with servers and restaurants and yeah, yeah. try to, you know, even friends who text me, you know, I just tell them, this time of year, I'm like, hey, I appreciate your friendship. You know, it's uh, you're a blessing to me. And uh, yeah. you and I have been friends a long time. You're a blessing to me. I enjoy doing this with you. Uh, we'll we'll kick this festival around a million times, man. It was, yeah. it was a great game. It's just like you said, I think I was so spot on. It's the only thing that kept it from being a great game is Ohio State didn't win it. Yep. So well, You too, Bruce. Happy all New right, Year, buddy. Ha- Happy all New right. Year to you. We'll talk to all you all folks right. again on Friday. Have a good one. Bye-bye.